very short, short verses today in our study of Phoebe, Romans 16, 1 and 2. This is Paul speaking, the last chapter of Romans. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sanchire, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. The word of the Lord. Amen. As I said, this is Paul's, Paul's final chapter and an extensive letter to the Christians at Rome. And those who made it to the end of this theological masterpiece, Paul wants them to uh, have greetings extended to certain people who are there in the church. In fact, there are 16 verses dedicated to him naming different men and women in Rome that Paul is either connected to as believers or either because they are actively engaged in dedicating their lives for the gospel. And when we read this list, we see that there's no differentiation of honor or roles. Both men and women are listed as being converts, co-workers, apostles, and saints. In fact, some scholars think that there may be former slaves on this list and people in the royal household and people from all over the Mediterranean. That is the church in a paragraph, isn't it? The only people warned about in this chapter are those who oppose sound teaching, those who are looking to distort the truth by making evil good. As we see here and in other places in Paul's writings, women partnered closely with him. We read of Chloe in 1 Corinthians and Nympha in Colossians, Athea in Philemon, Euodia in Philippians, and here we read of Junia. And Paul is often criticized as being against women and keeping them in their place. But here there is great evidence to the contrary because he is highlighting their prominence and their leadership by listing them in his letters, and we should always pay attention to that. So what do we know about Phoebe? Well, she was from Centura. There's a little map uh, kind of come up here for you, which was a coastal city about five miles away from Corinth. Paul is currently writing from Corinth. In Acts, we read how Paul sailed from this little port city on his way to Ephesus. In fact, it's a funny thing. It says that in Centura, he got all of his hair cut off because he uh, was having a vow that, anyway, he was doing something there and he mentioned it. And so at some point, the church is born there. Phoebe is a leader there. It's implied here, although it is not said, it's held true by many scholars that Phoebe was the one who carried the letter from Corinth to Rome. And I want another map up here because this is a considerable distance from Corinth, Greece to Rome, Italy. Because Paul lists her first and commends her, it makes sense that not only did she carry this the seven or 800 miles over land and sea, protecting it from the elements and from it being lost, that she read it to the congregation once she arrived. Now think about that. That would make sense. And if she did that, what people would have done when they first heard this foundational, very intricate theological letter is ask questions. And who would have answered the questions? The person who brought the letter. 
So the leader from the church that Paul had sent. So if that is indeed true, then she was well-versed in the complex ideas found here. And the Romans, we know, has doctrine of sin and justification and the plan of salvation and the truth of the cross and why believers have hope. And there's so much in Romans that the church has looked to for centuries and generations. It's the book that connects the gospel and acts to the rest of the New Testament. It's a hugely significant book. Phoebe is a deacon. She's a leader in the church there. Deacon literally means servant. And at this time in the church's development, the word was being described not just to describe a servant, but the formal role people were taking on as ministers. The root of deacon is found in Acts 6 when the church needed more organization because there was a disagreement about the caring of widows. So they appointed seven men to administrate the work and they call them deacons. And in other places in the New Testament, we're going to read about some in a minute, the word deacons is used. And Paul called Timothy a deacon. Apollos and Epaphras, he called all of them deacons. He calls himself using this same word. A deacon, meaning that he preached and taught others. In 1891, B.T. Roberts, who is the founder of Free Methodist, says this, There is not a single passage in which the word deacon in the New Testament is used to designate an officer of the church where there is any indication that this deacon was not also a preacher. Now, Robert said this because the word deacon had been translated differently for men as it had for Phoebe throughout the years, meaning they used the same word. It is the same word in the Greek, but with men, it had been rendered minister, and with Phoebe, it was translated as servant. Now, a few years after writing Romans, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and in it he spells out the character that is needed for a deacon, and that's going to be up here on the screen also. Deacons, likewise, must be serious, not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not greedy for money. They must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them first be tested. Then, if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve as deacons. Women likewise must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be married only once and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly how it was that Phoebe used the gifts that God gave her, but Paul calls her a deacon. She obviously had proven herself. This is not a word he throws around lightly. And those who minimize this word do so often with their own lens. The church at this time is a young movement struggling to make it, and it appears that both men and women are used to move the gospel forward. Paul says she is a benefactor to many, including himself, Phoebe probably used her personal wealth to support Paul and others. We talked about this when we talked about Joanna and Jesus and um, how those benefactors, be they men or women, were crucial to the backbone of the church. Now, it's interesting because in the original Greek, this word doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. That's kind of an interesting thing, truthfully. It means patron of another. It means one who protects 
others. One scholar from an article this year said that its basic translation is one who stands before others, meaning a leader. And in secular language, in secular writings, this same word, benefactor, is used of kings and military commanders and governors. So how does Paul instruct the church regarding Phoebe? Well, Paul commends Phoebe to the church by using this word commend. Paul is indicating that the church can trust her. He is communicating that he knows her well. He is recommending her with no reservation. And they are to welcome her as they would anyone who came that he sent to minister among them. Notice that he's not saying that she's available for menial tasks for what they need done. He is saying that the church needs to come alongside Phoebe in what she requires of them. That is how leaders are treated when they go to a different context as a known minister. They are to receive her in the Lord, he says. This could mean that they are receiving her as a fellow believer, but it reads like they would need to receive her as they would Jesus if Jesus came to their church. And sometimes we all should wonder how Jesus would be welcomed in our religious spaces, in our churches, if he came in person. I would think, I would love to think that we would welcome him with open arms, but I know that that would not always be the case. So we should think about how it is that we offer friendship to someone that we might consider beneath us, which we shouldn't ever consider that, but sometimes we do because we're human. Perhaps that is how people see women as beneath them. See, it's one thing to be a leader in a little place like Centura, but this is Rome. And Paul is sending her there to them, telling them that they are to treat her as they would him meaning as uh, with utmost respect as a caretaker of the gospel. When I first went to seminary in 1998, my advisor was Dr. Don Thorson, who is a great scholar and professor. He wrote the Wesleyan Quadrilateral and Calvin versus Wesley. And in my first year, we had to write a paper on some aspect of theology that we hadn't delved into very much. And I was at a loss because there was so much that I could do, and my mind was kind of swirling, so I went to see him in office hours, and he told me that I should write about authority of women in the church from a biblical perspective. And that isn't something that I at all wanted to do, and probably I should delve into that a little bit in therapy, but I didn't want to. And I said, well, maybe I suggested we could do something easier like predestination or all the beasts in Revelation. <laughs> and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, don't you want to be a pastor? <laughs> You're going to have to live this out every day as a woman. You're going to have to figure out when people come to you and they talk to you about the difficult passages of Paul, you need to know what to say. It's imperative that you know what this says. I did it grudgingly, but it was such a good thing. Because besides tackling all the hard passages from various theological viewpoints, I came away with something that I needed to be reminded of, that of course, all of these difficult conversations come down to how it is that one interprets the Bible. That's important. So let me give you an example, I can tell you, from my own study in 1 Timothy, one of the difficult passages about women in authority. 
that I came to the conclusion that Paul was not making a statement forbidding women to ever teach, that he wasn't saying that women shouldn't ever be able to exercise authority, that instead of translating the passage that women can't lead, we might look at this as him writing to a church in Ephesus where he was addressing false teachers and an unhealthy dynamic going on. That it was revolutionary that Paul was encouraging women to learn at all, and that perhaps the women who were there weren't ready to teach yet because they hadn't really had the opportunity to learn and that maybe they would have done great harm to the church because of their lack of knowledge. Now that's one translation, but we also know that at Pentecost it says that men and women will prophesy and preach and that the gifts in 1 Corinthians are not gendered and that God gifts all of us according to his will for the church to grow. And whoever God gifts and God's, uh, God equips, we should step out of the way and allow them to lead. Now, there are lots of different interpretations on these scriptures, but it's important that we look underneath what just the written words on the Bible say and kind of make up what we think that they mean. So here's something that I want us to take away today. The Bible is the primary way that we understand God. It is our best connection to knowing the story of God, to knowing Jesus as Savior, to understanding what the church is meant to be. It's the primary authority of our lives all of our prayers and our experiences and our exposure to truth first come through scripture. But often, sometimes as the people of God, we can take it for granted. And women in leadership is a good example. Why do you believe that women can lead in the church? Because it's a good idea? Because you've seen it a lot in practice? Because our denomination says so? Because it's right based on your sensibilities? Because your pastor told you so? Please, please don't ever say that. <laughs> because the world says it's fair. You see, it was good for my professor to tell me to do my own study on women and leadership in the Bible. And that's what we should be doing in all the issues where we don't understand something, where people are fighting about it, where the difficult truths are difficult for us to understand, especially in these issues that affect us the most. You see, there isn't just one way to understand something. And even though I might disagree with a scholar who says that women shouldn't preach, at least I trust that they have done the work to get to that place. Our time of communion as we come forward and confess and receive forgiveness for our sins. Let's also reflect how it is currently that we are working out our salvation. What does your time of reading and study consist of in your daily lives? Well, the Bible can be interpreted in different ways. It's important for you to know what you believe and why. Because if we don't, then we're susceptible to being unduly influenced by people who have an agenda or from the world tossing us around and twisting the truth to suit its own whims. And one thing that I have seen often as a pastor and am seeing a lot today is that people walk away from God and then blame all kinds of things for not or the church for not being what they wanted it to be without stopping and really seeking scripture, without stopping and really seeking the Lord for the truth that they most need. 
To be a Christian means that we seek God, that we follow him. This is what the Reformation was about. You don't have to rely on the church to give you truth. You get your own Bible. You get to read it. You get to study it. We so much need to be doing that. And our passage today is about a woman who embarked on a difficult journey so that other people could hear the word of God. That's what the church is meant to be about. No matter what her title or her role, Phoebe was a faithful servant, leader of the Most High God. And the truth gave her the impetus that she needed to encourage and bless others. So may we be people of the word, the word who are being changed by God's truth and love. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.